Well, how y'all doing? Boy, I love AA, man, and I love these conventions. You know, me and my wife look like the Beverly Hillbillies coming in here yesterday. We ain't used to such uh, niceties. Hilton Hotel, man, ain't this a nice place? Uh, they had our clothes on one of them rack deals, and I went right past the desk, took off, and was near about to the grill room to eat with them, thinking that was the front desk when an AA buddy come out and straightened me out on where to go. Heard Tommy speak last night, man. Tommy's one of my heroes in Alcoholics Anonymous. Got a great message. Hey, Dave, how you doing? He's got a great message. He spoke at my home group, which is where I first heard him speak, which is the Mustard Seed, on Dale Mabry Highway, Tampa, Florida, Saturday night, 815, Good Lutheran Church. Speaker meet. I know a bunch of these people's been over there. They bring meetings over there for us. And if you ever over yonder, come see us. You know, I'm looking forward to, uh, we had that talent deal last night, man. That was great. Bunch of talent here, singers. And you wouldn't know it by looking at some of them. <laughs> but man, when they got up there, they tore the place down, you know, and, uh, my wife so loves to sing and she was up there singing. She's having a ball. We're just having a ball, man. We're just really glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to hearing Keith. I've heard his tapes, but I never really met the man and uh, Michael. From Georgia. Don't let that fool you. That's where she lives now. After I heard her open her mouth, uh, I knew she wasn't from Georgia, but that's okay. That's okay. She's from California. And that's good, man. That's great. I'm, I'm just having a ball, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for asking me, Jerry. I tell you what, it's an honor to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I really mean that. I believe that, uh, if I got up in the morning, Doing for AA all day the rest of my life. I don't believe I could ever pay this program back for what it's done for me. I think I'm just working on the interest from here on out, man. It's just the greatest thing, you know, that ever happened to me. I'm going to uh see if we can't relate a little bit here. I love to tell this little story, see if we can't identify some. I know some of y'all heard it. But, you know, before I... uh before I got sober, you know, every once in a while I used to try to act like a human being. Not very often, but every now and then I would do something weird, like actually ask a gal out on a date and pick them up and go somewhere. And See, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Very rarely did that. Usually I'd meet some gal in a bar and we'd crawl out the door together and that'd be my date. And every once in a while I'd marry one of them gals, you know. But every now and then I'd be going to act like a human being. I said, I'll tell you what, you give me a holler at 7 o'clock and I'll come pick you up. We'll go do something. So what I'd do, man, I'd spend the whole day literally pacing around like an animal waiting on 7 o'clock, trying my best not to get loaded till 7 o'clock. Cause you know, I don't want to show up falling down. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm pacing. I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to get loaded. But I'm at least trying to wait to 7 o'clock, man, where I can show up there walking for this date. So 7 o'clock come, man, and the phone wouldn't ring, and, man, I wouldn't like that, so I'd take me a drink of liquor. Phone still wouldn't ring, I'd take another drink of liquor. And another one, and another one, and another one. Y'all following this? And another one, and another one, and another one. And the next thing you know, it's 7.02. 
And I don't care if she call or not, man. Uh, you know, my name is Jim Helm, and I am an alcoholic. And when I say I'm an alcoholic, that means when I get loaded, I do as much as I can, as fast as I can, for as often as I can, for about as long as I could. I grew up in Georgia. I know y'all find that hard to believe listening to me talk. That's where I grew up. I was the last of three kids up there. My oldest brother uh, died when he was 17. My sister's in a nut house in Louisiana. We was all pretty nuts. My daddy was an alcoholic. I can call him an alcoholic because I grew up with him. We grew up right down the hall from him, man, and he drunk a whole lot like I did. I'm going to tell you this because many times when I'm up here talking, I forget. I get to run in my mouth and I forget. But my daddy, he died sober. He'd been sober for a long time when he died. He died when I was three months sober. And uh, I'm, I didn't believe he had got sober when I first heard it. I didn't hear from my folks for long periods of time, and I was getting letters. Uh, I didn't see him. I was getting letters that he had got sober. I didn't believe it, but he did. He got sober. And, uh, you know, that meant a lot to me because I was able to make some kind of amends to him before he died. You know, because I think he blamed himself for some of the stuff I did. And I'm here to tell you right now how ridiculous that was, as you know. I want to tell you right now, man, I'm responsible for every lick of this story. I'm going to tell you all. I couldn't wait to do the things I did. You know, I got nobody to blame but myself. It weren't the cops' fault. weren't the judge's fault. weren't my mama's fault. wasn't nobody's fault but mine. Uh, my daddy did 21 years in the service. And as a result of that, no matter how drunk he got, he'd get up in the morning, put his boots on, go to work. And I always had a roof over my head and food on the table when I was at home. And I felt like my folks did care about me, you know, when I was growing up. My daddy was a great guitar player. And y'all don't know me from Adam's house, Cat, a lot of you. And you'd probably believe me when I tell you that. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, uh, y'all, none of y'all know how good he was because you didn't hear it. He was great, man. I, that's what I growed up around was uh, bands over to our house practicing. Or we was over to their house and they was practicing. It seemed to me like everybody got together and got drunk is what they did. Uh, when I was in the second grade, I think I was about 14 years old then, uh, my daddy was stationed up in Michigan and uh, that guy, Dale Shannon, that did Runaway, which somebody did that last night. I got a kick out of that. Uh, was over to our house wanting my daddy to go be, to be in his band. I mean, that's how good he was. That's what I'm telling you. He was all the time beating on the door, wanting him to play. And uh, my daddy uh, would take me to the bars with him when I was just a little old kid. Get me a, get me a cup of Coke and uh, some peanuts, man. And I'm going to tell you all right now, I love going to bars from the day I went there. I love that smoke-filled room, man. I liked all that dancing and fighting. That's the kind of bars we was in. My daddy, uh, my daddy was, uh, killing that guitar up there, man. I couldn't wait to get drunk. You know, I couldn't tell y'all when I first started drinking, but, uh, I was probably in diapers because they tell me that my ma used to give me a blast to, to get me to go to bed, you know, go to sleep. And I believe that because I do know the woman that changed my birth certificate. To make me a year older than what I was, to stick me in school a year early, to get me out from underfoot, because I must have, I must have really been monkey time, you know. 
you know, drinking, uh, I remember we used to steal some out of the refrigerator the cabinet. We'd all run out in the woods and drink it. And uh, I know when it come to me, I'd always drink as much as I could when I got a hold of it. Uh, I started taking drinking serious when I was, well, let me tell you what, man. Let me tell you something. Two things you need to know about me, man, really patterned my life. One thing is I was always really insecure with myself, totally insecure with myself. Y'all see me up here talking with y'all eyeballing me down there. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, this used to never would have happened. I couldn't have done it. Even back in school, man, when, uh, you know, the teacher would have you get up and do a book report, I'd say no. No, I'm not going to do it. She'd say, well, you're going to get a zero. I've been intimidated worse than that, man. I'd say, hey, give me a big fat one because I ain't getting up there. And what I would do is start... uh Making fun of her, you know, and get the kids, you know, laughing at her on my, but the truth was I was scared to get up there. And another thing about me growing up is I was totally impressed with the worst people. I'm here to tell you the sorry somebody was, man. I mean, I just think this guy was cool until I met somebody sorry or he was even cooler. And I spent my whole life trying to be cool. I still don't know what that is, but I can tell you this, it liked to kill me. It liked to kill me doing it. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I'd see them old greasers pitching pennies uptown, man. They had his hair slicked back and them leather jackets. You know, when I looked at them, I didn't see the reason they was pitching pennies is that's all they had. They were cool, man. People were a little scared of them, and I dug that, man. I want to be like them. And that's the way I was in elementary school, man. I had a little old fake leather jacket, taps on my shoes, man. And all I did in school was sleep and fight. Because that's how I covered up my insecurity, man. I'm scared of you. I'm scared of something. Man, I fight it. That's the ultimate way people cover up their insecurity. And I know that today, man. When I do prison meetings and stuff, man, these guys come in there like I used to, trying to act like they're real bad, and I know they're the scaredest person in the room. Man. You know, I know those things today. You know, I used to do stuff like go up to the filling station in my hometown and uh, pick a fight with everybody come up there to get gas. I can't tell you why I did stuff like that. They used to wonder about it. You know, I, but I do know this. If you take an attitude like that and you throw some alcohol on it, buddy, you can go places. <laughs> and I did do that. You know, I start like I was saying, I, I started taking drinking serious when I was 12. I got me a job at a moose lodge. And I was like a little mascot there. They used to call me Wooly Bully. I cleaned the place up, and they'd have a fish fry or something. They'd give me a drink. And, man, it was getting good to me. And so what I'd do last thing on my cleaning duties, I'd clean the bar last, man, and I'd uh, fill up the trash can with liquor and beer. And then after, after I got out of there, I'd go out there and get on my bicycle and pick it up and head on down the street. Now, being 12 years old, I couldn't go in too many bars and order nothing to drink. But I did what I had to do, man. I used to steal stuff to drink. I used to break in houses. Just to get something to drink. I used to have that liquor and that beer and I could act like I was older than I was. You know, I could hook up with somebody old enough to drive and run around with the older guys and be cool. I told y'all, I told y'all I was cool then. We need to establish, we need to establish that real early. I was cool, man. I'd do anything, you know, to be that. Now, I always looked a little older than what I was. See, I'm 18 now. I know we got some newcomers in here, so take a good look at me, man. And let's all get sober. What do you think? 
you know, I was getting in trouble. Now, when I was 14 years old, I hooked up with some guys that uh, was a lot older than me. I held a resentment toward them for many, many years. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I can do some drinking. I need more water. Got two of them down here. I'm a two-fisted drinker. Thanks, buddy. Now, what was I saying? I was off on something. Oh, yeah, 14 years old. And uh, these guys was a lot older than what I am. What I, You know, they're about as old as I am now. 18. Now, that's about as old as what I am now, and uh, I was hanging out with a nephew, and I'm here to tell you again, nobody put a gun to my hand, but I started hanging out with these guys, and they was doing a lot of stuff, man. They was pulling armed robberies, they was breaking in houses, and I thought they were really cool, and I couldn't wait to join in with them, man, and I started doing stuff like that, and it got good to me. I'd rob me a liquor store. I'd leave them a bicycle. Cops would pass me going to that liquor store. I'd be riding over to rob another one. I got arrested 20-something times as a juvenile. And, you know, uh, I couldn't have cared less, man. But the people that catch it for those kind of things is like my my folks, man. You know, my folks love me. You know, they didn't know what to do with me. They were the ones that had to deal with it, you know. Not in school. They had to deal with my neighborhood where everybody in my neighborhood knew who was going in the house. You know, my parents had to deal with them, and uh, it was rough on them. And so when I was about 16, I wasn't home much anyhow. But my daddy got word to me that uh he had some money for me. He knew that I'd show up, you know, if there was some money involved. So I, sure enough, I come there and uh he met me at the door, you know. And he told me that I weren't his son anymore. I'll tell you, I don't know why my daddy didn't kill me. You don't know the truth. I hocked his guitars. I stole their money. I stole their car. I, TV, you know, anything, man. He told me I weren't his son anymore. He didn't know who I was. He told me my mama was packing to leave, counting me, and said, guess what, Jim? She ain't going nowhere. You are. You ain't welcome here no more. And you know, when he told me that, I, I honestly got wondered what took him so long to do that, you know? And I was going to show these people what was, you know, what was what, that I could make it on my own. Didn't know what I thought I was going to do, but I hitchhiked around. Ended over, ended up over yonder in New Orleans, cause my, Ma always told me, if you die and you don't go to heaven, you go to New Orleans. <laughs> you know, my mama that night told me something I wasn't going to hear again for many, many years when they told me to leave the house. She told me she put me in God's hands because there was no more she could she could do with me, you know. I believe today my mother's prayers is why I'm standing here today. I believe they were a big part of what got me through all the stuff that happened and, and to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I really believe that with all my heart, man. Ended up over yonder in New Orleans, man. Now, I told y'all I was cool, then. Man, I was bopping up and down the street. Hey, man, what's happening? Ain't got nothing to drink, do you? About a week later, I was, hey, uh, what's happening? Anybody got something to eat around here, man? Well, that's where it was really at. You know, that's how good I was doing on my own. Ended up sleeping with a bunch of winos over yonder in New Orleans, you know, and uh it's pretty rough down there, man. I've seen people get cut wide open down there just for a pair of shoes, you know, a new pair of shoes. And I was just a young, and they thought they could run over me, but they found out I know how to tow the knife, too, and had done a little fighting. So a couple winos took me under their wing, you know. I see, man, that, that happens every time. I love that, man. Where else but Alcoholics Anonymous can you say... A couple winos took me under their wing, and nobody even blinks, man. You know what I mean? They're all sitting out there going, yeah. 
Yeah, lucky guy, man. You know? You know, and they they taught me all kind of stuff, you know. They taught me uh how to panhandle, how to roll cigarette butts off of the ones been crushed on the ground, get me a whole one. Well, best trash cans eat out in New Orleans. How to run uh, through the bars at closing time and slam down as many drinks as them had to be non-alcoholics left on their tables before they could rouse you out of there. Where to sell blood and plasma. Plasma was the best because you could sell that two times a week at the same place. You know, stuff a growing boy needs to know, man. You know, and I, I'm going to tell you right now, man, I'm glad I remember this. I'm going to tell you all what. I was miserable at that age. I really was, man. I was already miserable, you know, because I realized this cool thing <laughs> wasn't what I thought it was. Already I knew that. You know, I've seen my first person die of this disease and acting like an idiot like we did when I was 14, you know. And we stuffed him in the back of a trunk. And we took him down the road and we stuck him under a bridge. The day before, man, he was my buddy. The next day, nobody even mentioned his name anymore. You know, that's the kind of folks I was hanging out with. You know, I, I was in New Orleans like that for a while, and I'm glad, like I say, I'm glad I remember it. I hope I never forget it. Man, a, a typical day for me, I'd wake up in the middle of Bourbon Street or over yonder in Jackson Square or somewhere with people stepping over me. Middle of the day, and I'm 16, and I feel like an old man trying to get up. <laughs> Struggling to get up, man. Waddling around. You know, I used to lay back with my head back and I used to have a sunburned roof of my mouth. Any of y'all ever have that? You know you're an alcoholic, man, when you got a sunburn on the roof of your mouth. I can tell you that right now. You qualified to be here. You know, and I'd wake up and that's the way things was going there, man. I ended up, though, I broke in a gun shop. I stole some guns. I Sold some of them. I kept me a little old snub nose 38. I robbed some places. I left New Orleans with about three grand in my pocket on a bus back to Georgia. Got back to Georgia, spent that money in about 30, 40 minutes. And that there is my story, really, right there. I just told it. That's what I did. I went through all this, whatever I had to do to get some money to just blow it, man. Have everything for 30 minutes. And then it's gone. And then start it all over again. You know, when people tell me in AA, they say, well, Jim, you didn't work. Oh, man, that was work. That was work, man. I'd have been a lot better off punching me a time card somewhere. You know, I know that today. You know, anyway, that's how I was living. I knew I had to do something to change my life, so I got married the first time. Now, I'm living proof anybody can get married, all right? I had a son at about the same time. Beautiful girl. Beautiful little boy. I really believe the reason I'd done that was I was looking for something to change my life, man. I really do. I believe it's the only reason I did it. You know, because I was still thinking some magical something might happen. Y'all remember them days where you had that magical deal going in your head where when I turn 18 or when I turn 21 or when I get married or when I have a kid or... That's why I'd done it. And the only good thing I can tell you about that marriage is that it didn't last very long. None of mine did until this last one. I'd have, and I'm glad it didn't, man, because I'd hate to know I had to call me daddy growing up. You know, man, this is an honest program, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I learned about real honesty in here. But I'm going to tell you all what, man, I was eat up with honesty way before I got here, man, because I just run out of lies to tell myself. 
And that there is where misery for me, where misery come in when I knew just what I was, you know. You know, like when you put your wife in the hospital, you got a baby laying there hungry, you don't spend every dime you got getting loaded, you pretty much know just exactly what you are, you know. When you're standing next to a drugstore or someplace with a shotgun, knowing you're fixing to go get you something, you don't really care what happens to get it to anybody or anything else, man, you know just what you are. And you know, when I used to look in the mirror, I used to spit in my own face because that's what I thought of myself. I really did. And I wanted to do something about it, but I just couldn't. I didn't know how to change. I didn't know how to quit doing the things I was doing. You know, that cool thing wasn't making it. And uh anyway, man, I got arrested. Uh 17 now. I got sent up to a little old juvenile prison up in Georgia called Alto. That's what it is. It's for young folks. It's... uh the oldest guys in there was in the early 20s. I was 17, and just a whole lot of fighting, gang fighting going on in there. Man, I know how to fight, and I know how to, you know, I got me in a gang. Man, I was digging it up there myself. I did a six little six-month thing, and I got out. Now I got me some new buddies to run around with, see? And I want to tell you the truth, man. What it seemed like to me, me and this bunch, and, and they're about all my life before I got sober, it just seemed like we all would see how who could top each other on who could be the biggest jerk-off. And I mean that. You know, this guy would do something totally obscene, and that mean I had to do something worse. You know, that's that's the way we were, man. So we were running up and down the I-75 corridor up there, robbing everything on it, man. Uh, liquor stores, jewelry stores, drug stores, filling stations. We ended up over and out. And believe me, nobody was messing with us because we was about to shoot each other. You know, doing it, man. You know, I'd run in there with a shotgun and go, see, man, these guys is just like me, man. Once we got that money, man, I want to share it with them. You know, this honor among thieves, whoever made that up was a, wasn't a thief. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you that right now. And I was just living in total fear. I really was, man. I was waiting for something to happen. The, the gals I went with back then, man, I used to be scared to death to, to go to sleep around them because I just knew I was going to wake up with my throat cut. Because all we did was fight and argue. Anyway, we had a motel room over there in Valdosta, Georgia, up in Lowndes County, and they, they emptied it. We had three rooms rented. Believe me, the cops can remember this better than I can, but uh, they emptied it out, except for them three rooms, put cop cars from one end of the parking lot to the other. I had, uh, man, cops on top of cars, behind cars, side of cars, all of them pointing rifles and pistols at us, and Come out there with that megaphone early in the morning talking about, uh, come out with your hands up. Me and an old buddy of mine, Russell Cheney, was peeping out of the curtain. Russell's dead now. And, uh, he said, Jim, what are we going to do, man? I said, man, I'm going out there with my hands up. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do. And I did. And they throwed us down there. I went to the Lowndes County Jail. And, uh, now I told y'all I was cool then. We established that. Well, believe me, I was super cool in the courtroom. I was doing stuff like uh, crawling across the floor, barking at the judge. I, was, I had to be bound and gagged at, at my arraignment. Uh, bailiff come up and told me to turn around. I jumped up and started wailing on him. In other words, I was just really endearing myself to the prosecution. But I was cool. I was cool. I was so cool that uh the judge looked me right in the eyeball and gave me 45 years up and Reedsville State Penitentiary. See, I'm 18 now, man. I can go there. That's like Rayford is down here. And uh 
I didn't, I'm not going to, you know, spend a lot of time with a dissertation of being up yonder, but I can tell you this, uh, if they rated prisons like hotels, five star, uh, Reedsville be about a half a star at the most. You know, I'll tell you a little story, give you an idea of what the place was like. Well, when we left on a bus, uh, we left on a bus eight days after I turned 19. It was Valentine's Day, which was kind of funny, I thought. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we were uh, heading up there. We stopped to pick up some other boys on the way, and uh, I couldn't tell you what town we was in, man, but I can tell you this is one of the filthiest jails I've ever been in. I mean, you didn't even want to go to the bathroom in there. And they had something in there, though, you rarely see. They had a regular ceramic toilet instead of steel. And it was so old and crumbly, man, it was literally falling apart, moldy. You could crack it and all this. And these guys we come to pick up was eating the toilet. And the reason they'd doing that, man, they'd rather cut up their insides and they cut their heels. They'd rather mess themselves up than go back to Reedsville because they'd been there before. That's the kind of place it is, you know. And so I got there. I'm a bouncy 19-year-old. And everybody there has got a nickname. When I first got there, my nickname was Wild Man. And through the years, that progressed to Animal. That give you an idea of what I was like. I can tell you this, man. As, as much as a troublemaker as I thought I was when I got there, man, I didn't know nothing about it till I got there. You know, and I, I really, I become a lot worse than what I was when I got there. I become very angry, very bitter, man. I found myself doing things I never thought I'd ever do. I I used to get arrested all the time in prison. You know, I stayed loaded the whole time I was there. Used to get arrested on a plane drunk charge, man, walking down the hall. I got arrested for murder when I was in there, and ain't nothing unusual about that, man. Uh, you ain't going to read about it much in the papers. But there was uh, gangs in there, and I was in a gang, and we was at war. And that's what it was. And uh Every dormitory they put me in after that day is having a riot, so they stuck me over yonder in death row for safekeeping. So I got a good look at uh where I go. If I think I'm so smart, uh I might think about picking up a drink anytime soon. You know, they ended up dropping the charges on me, and they put me back in general population, and I was doing all kind of neat stuff like uh, beating my brains out on the walls and the bars and all, and... Uh, I backed up the whole toilet system in Reedsville State Penitentiary. Now, they said I was crazy. I thought I was a genius. But they uh, ended up sending me over to Milledgeville, which is a state hospital in Georgia, which is like Chattahoochee down there. Now, y'all know Chattahoochee's shutting down, ain't you? Y'all know that? Man, I keep up with that, man. It's shutting down. It's spreading them around, you know. And that. But anyway, when I got to Milledgeville, man, I couldn't wait to get back to Reedsville from that place. That's where I learned about better living through electricity, you know. About wraparound overcoats. And uh, they had this hot and cold water therapy with uh, shower heads, you know. They strap you on a gurney and you go through hot and then cold and then hot. Now that is rehabilitation, what do you think? I'd have really been a mess if we hadn't had that, you know. And, you know, every time I got shock treatment, man, I'd think, now, you know, if there's anything I ever do in life, I want to get that guy, man. He's throwing that rectifier. But by the time they got me, I got out of there, I just couldn't remember who did it, man. <laughs> you know, and they had, uh, they pumped me full of Thorazine, you know. I'm doing the old Thorazine shuffle, the mummy walk, where, you, you know, your arms don't move. You just kind of 
Kind of like that. And here I've been wanting to get loaded all my life, and I'm loaded now. And, you know, I couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand it, man. Had nurses leading me around, man, you know, and I I made a break for it one time, but I was moving so slow, nobody knew it. And, uh, they had a mic like this, man, up at the uh, nurse's station. It went kind of like uh, one of the nurses said, hey, Zeke, uh, listen, man, uh, Jim's getting a little close to the cage door. Uh, how about finishing your sandwich and sitting him back down for me? And that was my big, that was my big escape attempt. But I ended up over in a, they had a hearing over there in Tattanoe County, Georgia, and what was going down, they had the Reedsville people on one side, and they had the Milledgeville people on the other side, and they had these peoples arguing about who was going to keep me. And I'm going to tell you something, man. I didn't have a lot of self-esteem up to that point, <laughs> but I had absolutely zero after that. And I mean that, man. I mean, I thought if these two fine establishments don't want me, then what am I, you know? And I guess Reedsville lost because uh, <laughs> that's where I ended back up. And, of course, I got in more trouble. And I ended up over in segregation. And and I remember I had this thought, and I hope I never forget this either, man. And I was thinking, you know, this ain't too bad over here, man. You know, because I was staying loaded and the guards weren't really wailing on me too much. And I really, I really was thinking that this ain't too bad, you know. And guess what, man? You know, it was bad. See, that's my alcohol-isms, you know, where I'd settle for anything. You know, I remember the first, second time I went to jail, man, I was thinking, man, you know, this is really going to hurt my mama. Next couple times I was in there, I was thinking, man, she better bring me some cigarettes up here. Because, you know, my thinking changed. What I expected of myself changed. You know, I just anything. I, you know, I sold my soul a little bit of time, and I sold any honesty or any integrity or any dignity or any anything. Just went, I mean, I, you know, it probably happened pretty quick, man, but it just went out the window where none of that, you know, meant anything. And so I'm willing to, to stay there in Reedsville, you know, and this ain't too bad. You know, it's kind of like you're living on the street, sleeping on the pavement, and then all of a sudden you... You get you a junk, you're sleeping in the back of a truck in a junkyard and you find an old mattress and everything's okay then, you know. Well, it ain't okay. You know, you're just settling and settling and that's the way I was, you know. They had a thing going on up there in Georgia, not unlike what they had going down here in Florida not too many years ago where the prisons just got so crowded, man, they started cutting us loose. And they let me out after I'd been down for 10 years, you know, and of course I was never going to go back and the first no, never mind, I mean that, man, that I run into, I used to know, said, hey, blood, what's happening? When did you get out, man? Let's go do so-and-so, and I'm here to tell you, my shirt was in the breeze following this guy. So, see, I'm more worried about what he thinks of me, this image or this coolness or this my alcoholism or whatever you want to call it, you know, than the rest of my life, man. So, sure enough, I violated my parole right away, and... uh had a judge send me to a rehab, and he's doing me a favor. You know, I'm sure he was. You know, the deal was if I did good in there, I wouldn't go back to prison. And that's the longest I stayed sober was in that place until I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because the only reason that is because I couldn't get a hold of nothing in there. I gained 100 pounds in two months in there. I weighed 140 pounds when I showed up. I think about 50 pounds of that was hair. I was so skinny when I stuck my tongue out, I looked like a zipper coming at you. 
And I'm still trying to act bad, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm in there, man, and, uh, I knew I had to do something to change my life, so I got, I got married again. Married my second wife in there. My second wife's, uh, folks was millionaires from Wausau, Wisconsin, holding a tool and die shop up there. And believe me, man, that was a new deal for me. She could, she could get money, uh, we had a baby girl. They let us out of there then, and uh, I'm here to tell you, man, as soon as I got out, I stopped at a 7-Eleven. I said, honey, pick me up a 12-pack, which I thought would be an improvement for me, you know, because I I, I usually didn't drink beer because it was hard for me to find 190-proof beer anywhere, you know. But uh, she did, and they talk about this being a progressive disease. Man, please believe them because it's like I never draw a sober breath. And I learned something real important when I was in that place, you know, because I always thought if I could just quit drinking, just quit getting loaded, everything would be okay. Man, I wasn't getting loaded in there, and things was far from okay. I think it was worse, because I was what I'd have to call stark raven sober, you know. See, man, that's all that changed. Was I wasn't getting loaded. Man, that's why I was getting loaded to start with. Man, I wasn't getting loaded anymore because it was a party. I wasn't getting loaded no more because I was digging it. I was getting loaded because I didn't want to think. I wanted what the big book talks about. Man, I wanted oblivion. I wanted to be so loaded I didn't know who I was, what I was doing, what I was done, what I was going to do, man. That's, and you know, that's why I was getting loaded. And when you took that away from me, man, I'm just sitting there with my nails dug in a chair ready to kill somebody. Because that's all that changed, man. So, as soon as I got out of there, I'm drinking again. Man, I'm going to tell you the kind of punk I am. I didn't even have to rob places no more because my second wife could get some money. But I did. I started robbing places again, and I got violated again. I went back to Reedsville. And you know, Reedsville is exactly like it was when I left it. The only thing changed was I'm getting a little older, you know. And there's something about getting older in there, man. Not that you're having a ball when you're a kid, but the older you get, man, you see a little more into your head in there, you know. And I did some more time, and I got out, and I knew I had to do something else to change my life. So what did I do? Got married again. Y'all are listening. That's right. Yeah, I was in a strip bar one night, and met this gal that had been in prison most of her life, and... uh we rolled a couple guys in the parking lot that night. Man, I was in love, let me tell you. I mean, this gal wanted to break in places I was scared to go in, you know. And it was quite a marriage. And once again, uh, the only couple things, good things I can tell you about that one was, one, we didn't have any children. Two, it didn't last long either. We literally, literally used to about kill each other over that last drink or did you put this mustard on the sandwich like this you know something real important like that you know and one night I near about did kill her and I ain't proud of that she about killed me a couple times too but I knew I had to get out of there I transferred my parole down here to Florida which goes to show you all the kind of riffraff you got coming down to Florida and I got down here, and I was living over yonder in Tampa, and I got me a little old trailer over there in Drew Park. wasn't big enough to swing a cat in, you know. But uh I went to work, got a job. I could actually tell a parole officer I was working. And I don't know, man. I, I'm going to tell you how glamorous I ended up. 
You know, when I first started getting loaded, I thought I was going to be a mafia chieftain, <laughs> at the very least, you know. So I end up with this job, man, where I'm drinking liquor before I go go to the bathroom in the morning, you know. I'm drinking liquor on the way to work. I'm working with a bunch of drunks, so, you know, I fit right in. We're drinking big time. Lunchtime, we're pouring it down. I drink all day. I come home. I draw the shades. I drink till I pass out, and I get up uh, and do the same thing the next day. And I'm sitting there thinking, hey, Jim, you're doing pretty good, man. You know, you might not go back to prison like this. And, you know, I was just as much in prison in that trailer as I ever been in my life. More so, probably. You know, I, I couldn't leave the trailer, see. I tried my best not to leave that trailer. Because I know what's going to happen, you know. I'm going to leave the trailer loaded. I'm going to go to a bar. I'm going to start drinking. And then something's going to happen to set me off. Generally, it'd be something like somebody's going to look at me. Boy, that used to burn me up, man. You know, I had to say, hey, man, what what you looking at? You know, that's how I used to meet people. I was all the time taking people's inventories for them before I ever got to AA, you know. And I'd spend what little money I had in about, you know, 20 minutes, and then I'd go rob a person, place, or thing. And somehow, man, by the absolute grace of God Almighty, man, I always made it back to that little trailer. And on March 18th of 1990, I woke up in the floor there, and uh I looked around for something to drink, of course, first thing, and I found me a little bit of liquor, and I went to drink it, and instead I poured it down the sink, and I called Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to tell you how powerful this program is, man. The reason I knew to call Alcoholics Anonymous, see, they had AA in prison. I didn't go to any meetings, but I told you all I was cool then. Man, I was way too bad and cool to be going to them hinky-dinky AA meetings. But I'll tell you what, the people that did, man, they really impressed me. They didn't know it. I didn't even know it, I don't think, but they did. The thing that impressed me the most about them was they was getting out when they were supposed to. Man, that impressed me. You know, they wasn't running around acting like they was two years old like the rest of us, getting thrown in the hole, doing bread and water, blackout holes and all that. Man, they were doing what they had to do. And they was getting out. They used to walk together, man, in the, in the, out in the prison yard there. They call it a yard, but I'm going to tell you what it was. It was a jungle. And they used to walk out there like they was just strolling through Central Park or something. And that's the way they was, man. And so I knew something was going on with that AA, and that's how I know to call it. Walked up to a payphone, called it, got there, man. It's undoubtedly the greatest thing that will ever happen in my life. You know, I never knew life could be anywhere, uh, <laughs> anything like it is today, you know. It's like coming into an oasis in time, you know, where I could just leave that madness and come into a place where people were talking about honesty. Talking about real stuff, man. How to live. Talking about insecurities. You know, one of my biggest insecurities was that somebody might know I was insecure, you know? And man, I come in AA and I sat there and I shook. And when I talked, my voice cracked. And guess what, man? Nobody went flying out the door. I told y'all he was insecure, you know? And it didn't happen. 
You know, man, I lived behind the club I got sober at in the woods there. And the reason I'd done that, I knew if I went anywhere, I'd get loaded. You know, when I went to AA, man, it's the first time in my life I walked in a place. I walked in there, man. Nobody throwed me in there. I went in there, man, because I wanted help. If I'd have settled for what I thought I'd get when I showed up, I'd have really sold myself short, you know. I wanted maybe for these voices to shut up for a second. To be able to walk down the street without feeling like i got to knock the hell out of the next person that walks by. This is the kind of stuff I used to do. I was so full of anger, man. Man, I come in here and y'all just threw me for a loop, you know. Because everybody was so good to me. <laughs> just mess me up, man. First time I ever heard keep coming back and I couldn't tell you how long. Somebody telling me to keep coming back. I said, man, there's no problem. I'm sleeping in the back here. You know, somebody brought donuts that morning, I had something to eat. And if they didn't, I was okay, man. Because I went a many a time without eating, man. I don't know about y'all, but if I had three grand in my pocket, I spent two nine nine eight getting loaded, two bucks on cigarettes, and hey, if I get something to eat, I'll get something to eat, you know. The people's talking about God, of all things. I'm going to tell y'all what, man, I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in nothing good. I'm going to tell you, man, I run around with some of the worst people in this country most of my life, and there wasn't a whole lot of good betwixt us. It just seemed like we was waiting on somebody to show a little bit of humanity so that we could jump on them, man, and say, what's the matter with you? And it was so different here, man. You know, and I found out that, you know, I wasn't the only person that was such a big, phony act, acting like everything's okay, listening to y'all talk, man. I found out we was all crazy. What a relief. <laughs> We're all nuts, man. I mean that, though. Man, I was like, man, I remember it just seemed like, and it still does a lot of times, I'd be sitting in an AA meeting, and it just seemed like everybody was in there, and they seen me coming and said, okay, here he comes. We're going to talk about this today. And it'd be right where I was at, man. Everything everybody said, man. And it was just the greatest thing, you know. And, you know, people's talking about God and what step you're on and the miracle, you know. I'm sitting there with my eyeballs about to blow out my face, man. I want to get loaded so bad. Wanting to kill somebody. And what step are you on? You know, in my face and all this, man. And, and I asked the guy one day, man, I said, man, what do you do when you ain't got these steps, you ain't got no God in your life? I said, what do you do in the meantime? And he told me, he said, brother, that's just the meantime. That's when you find out whether you want this thing or not, you know. And I did. And they kept telling me what to do, telling me what to say. Got me a sponsor, man. And, uh, I was, I love to tell this story, man. I was living behind, and I do know that, uh, getting a God and spirituality, spirituality in my life is why I'm here today. See, man, I didn't even know that. I mean, that's how far off the dock I was, man. The biggest thing missing in my life, I had no clue what it was till I got here. See, because that was the difference with the steps and getting God in my life. Instead of me sitting there stark, raving, sober, I started to change, get ready. And that's what was missing in my life, man. See, I had a step one. I was on step one for 20-something years. didn't even know it. I needed a step two, man, and three, and for something to do to get out of this, man. And that's what I found. In Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know it's of an educational thing where you're always learning, always changing. And believe me, I am, man. 
at that last state convention in Orlando, they had a gal up there talking about the 11th step. And when I got through listening to her, I, I felt like I hadn't done a thing right yet. <laughs> I had so, I just, but that's great, man. That's what it's about, realizing things I can better myself, ways I can change, man. I hope I always stay that way. I hope I never graduate. You know, I see what happens to people that graduate from this program, man. But anyway, well, for another tangent. Uh, I was living behind the place, and you know, when you read in the big book, how Bill W. got down on his knees and he prayed, and he knew that God was in the room, man. He felt the wind, he knew it was God. And I also know that not long after that, he was standing in front of a bar, <laughs> even after he had God in his room, trying to decide where he going to go in the bar, and he ended up calling somebody he could help, man, and that to me... Is the secret to this whole thing, the hidden secret, man. The more I can get out of myself, man, my selfish, self-centered self, that's what I never do. Anyway, I'm going to tell this. It takes all night, man, all day. I was living behind the place, okay? And it was raining, and I, I was soaking wet, man, and I'm doing what I do best for a long time. I'm sitting back there feeling real sorry for Jim, you know? Yeah, but I did, I was going to do what they told me. I finally made a decision, if you can believe that. And I got down on my knees, there's an old stump back there. And I said, God, if you're really up there, please help me. Ain't that the drunk's prayer, man? Help me. And then I told, I said what they told me to say, because I didn't know how to pray. I said, take this obsession away from me, man. Just get me out of this dark hole I'm living in, man. And what happened to me, see, was I started crying, which nowadays is no big deal. Nowadays, I cry at cornflake commercials, and I'm glad I'm that way. I really am. But back then, man, let me tell you something. I didn't cry in front of you, in front of me, and especially no God, and I was crying, man. But I honestly, God, believed that what happened from that was I stood up from there because I ain't been the same since. I think I felt like if I could cry then I might have a shot at being a human being, you know. And I know when I walked back into the rooms, something had changed, man. See, what happened was I was looking at people. If not for the first time, for the first time in a long time, I actually saw human beings in these rooms, you know. Up until then, man, I could have been in the middle of Tampa Stadium. I might as well have been there by myself. I had no thought about you. Your feelings, you know, your desires, your hopes, your nothing. And I saw people, you know, and up until then, even in the meetings, man, somebody would be talking and I'd be thinking, well, man, when he shuts up, I can tell him what was really going down out there. Or some young guy would be talking and I'd be thinking, man, you know, I got underwear older than that guy. How could he know anything about alcoholism? And you know what, man? I started listening and they knew everything. And I could relate to people, man. What a, that's one of the greatest gifts I got, man, to being able just to relate to another human being. You know, when I got into the steps and I had me a good sponsor and I know I, when I done my fifth step, I got up and I hugged him. If you can picture two big, ugly men hugging each other, talking about we love each other and we did. We did, man. You know, and these steps, man, they, they taught me so many things that I never dreamed I'd have in my life. You know, I learned about healing, man. How to let things go, you know. 
You know, those are the kind of things that were so important. I learned about forgiveness, man. Forgiveness? Man, some guy whooped me in the second grade. I'd still be looking for him when I was 30-something years old. And I learned to do it now. Make amends now, you know? See, y'all literally taught me how to be a human being again, is what you did, through the steps. My my sponsor today, his name is Jimmy the Book. I don't think it's because he's a bookie. I don't think it is. It's the thing. It's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and Jim and uh, Joe over there from New Jersey, they had a great thing on the traditions this morning. Man, I love listening to Jim speak or do a workshop, man, because I always learn a whole lot from him, man. You know, you ever notice how the traditions, uh, oh, God, I know them traditions meetings. People getting up, walking out. No, man, hey, man, it's only what holds us together. It's only the reason we're here today, man. That's what all it is. That's the traditions, man. That's that's what it's all about, you know. And it took me a, a long time to start learning that myself, man. I still got a lot to learn. I got a lot to learn about it, man. But anyhow, I started changing, started doing all kind of weird things. Went to work. Lunchtime, I'd eat lunch, you know. Wow, get ready for this sobriety, you know. I remember one day I went to work, man, I was coming home and I had the radio turned on and I, uh, I looked in the mirror, the rear view mirror there and I was literally bouncing in the, in the seat. Happy. Happy, man, for no apparent reason. Just having a ball, living, man. It like to scared me half to death when I seen that, man. But that's, that's what it's all about, man. I got a life today, you know. I got a life today, and, and uh, you know, those things are good, you know, going to work. My sponsor took me to church, and, the you know, the walls didn't cave in, and they had a gal up there playing the piano. She had what I wanted. I was willing to go to any length to get it, and that's Johnny over there, and she was tearing it up in the talent show last night, man. She digs up doing them. Maybe she'll do it again tonight, you know. But anyhow, man, uh, you know, it's been a bumpy road, man, for me and her. I was eight months sober when we met. You know, I I had a lot to learn. I mean, I was still couldn't get over the fact when we went to a restaurant, they were putting deadly weapons in front of me, you know? I mean, look at it. I'm like, look at here, man. They're putting a knife down here, man. Don't they know there's people in here? You know, and we couldn't hardly go to a restaurant because I'd be about ready to jump on the waiter, man. I didn't have no social skills, you know, and, of course, she's taught me them. <laughs> Still teaching me them, you know. But she's a great gal, and uh, it's been up and down, our marriage. It really has, man. It's been up, it's been down. And right now, I think it's up, and uh, that's the way I want it. Maybe not by the time I sit down, but, you know, she's a, she's a great gal. I never thought I'd be with anybody like I wouldn't have never been with anybody like her if it hadn't have been for Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I thought that... uh when I got sober, man, the horns would blow and the carpets would roll and everybody would say, here comes Jim and he's sober and ain't things great, man. And then guess what, man? That ain't the way it is. Life keeps right on a going. And now I got to be responsible. What I never was. I had to grow up is what I had to do. You know, I was still a little kid, man, throwing a tantrum like I did when I was a little old young. And just I got bigger and people took notice of it more. As I got bigger, that's all I was, man. I had to learn how to grow up. You know? It's, it's kind of weird, man. We we uh, bought we did we bought a house there, and uh, I remember we went to the realtor, and he asked us a few simple questions. He said, "Have you ever bought a house before?" I said, "Well, I think me and my second wife did." 
And, you know, Johnny told me, he said, Jim, look, man, if you're not sure about something, just don't be sharing it with people, okay? You know, I couldn't remember if we did or not, man, you know. But we've been growing, man, and, you know, my ma, uh, my mama, who uh, who once told me that uh, she prayed that she died before my father because she didn't know what I would do to her if he wasn't around. She seemed to get sober, you know, and she got real sick, and she come to live with us. My my wife's mother was just as sick. They were dying. That's what they were doing. We took care of them in our house there, you know, on their last uh, leg. And that's the gift y'all gave me, you see, because I wouldn't have been able to do that. You know, I found myself doing things I never thought I'd do. I was massaging the food out of her gums. We changed her diapers. My wife done it more than I did. I carried She just become a bag of bones. I carried her. From room to room. But you know what, man? I got to know my mother as a human being. And I, I tell you what, man, I didn't even, I would have never known that if it hadn't been for you guys. My mama told me what it was like growing up. She told me about her schoolmates. She told me how she met my daddy, her first car, her brothers and sisters, man, all this stuff. And she was a big AA fan, I can tell you that. She said, Make sure you keep going to the AA meetings, you know. And she died, you know, and I buried her up there next to my daddy up in Georgia. And I made a couple phone calls and I, to a couple of my exes, and I met my children. That's another gift y'all gave me. See, my children didn't even know about each other, and they didn't know me at all. They were just little babies when I went to prison. And all they knowed about me was what their mamas told them. So they didn't like me very much, you know. And uh we all met up in Jacksonville. And there was a lot of fear in that room, man. You know, nobody knew what was going down, and uh, they were over the shock that they had a brother and sister. You know, and my sister, my my daughter told me she said, "You know, Jim, uh, I just know." She said, "You know, Dad, you never was there. You didn't do this. You didn't do that." I said, "You know what, man? You get on your knees and thank God I wasn't there, the way I was back then." I said, "I'm here now. I I can do the best I can now. You know, and you know, you don't see you." You kids, you know, you figure one of them's a lawyer and one of them's a doctor. Well, they wasn't. You know, my son was a town drunk and my daughter, who was much younger than him, was in way worse shape than he was. And through the time, man, they both doing a lot better now. You know, we have developed a relationship and that's Alcoholics Anonymous, man. You know, not long ago on Father's Day, they were both down here and we all went to Bush Gardens over there in Tampa. And I was the biggest kid there, man. I got to ride that uh, Gwazi deal, man, all day long. And I had a ball, man. And you know why? Because I ain't got to be cool no more, man. I can actually have a good time. See, used to, I had to stand around acting bad all day. You know what I'm saying? I had a great time, man. And I got five grandbabies now. And, you know, I didn't do too good as a daddy, but I'm the best granddaddy you ever seen, man. They're great, man. Man, you can shake them up and get them all fired up and then to call their mama to come get them. I love it. And my, they love me, man. We have a ball, man, because I'm just a kid just like them, man. We run around, play tag and Indian and all that stuff. You know, my, my wife drives my wife crazy, you know, picking up. She hates it when I'm home because the grandbabies don't have as much to do with her then, you know. But, man, that's the way my life is today. It's just, it's just great. You know, a guy told me, and I promise y'all I'll shut up, man. I'm running my mouth a little too much here. But, you know, uh, a guy told me I'd be good if I could take some jail meetings. I don't know why he thought that, but uh 
you know, he said you got to be off uh, out of jail for a year, off parole for a year. And, you know, I was on parole like forever. You know, and so I told him, I said, well, you know, I'd be glad to do that as soon as I get off parole, thinking I never would, you know. And, you know, not long after that, man, my parole officer called me at work. And I swear to God, in the back of my head, right after he called me, I was thinking I was getting off parole, you know. But by the time I went to see, he told me to come see him. When I went to go see him, man, man, I was circling the building, man. I just knew they found some warrant somewhere, you know. But I'm sober, man. I got to go in there, you know, and I did. And he asked me that I have lawyers uh, working on my case. I said, oh, yeah, man, my lawyers are tripping over each other. No, I don't have any lawyers, you know. He said, well, you know, man, you're off parole. And he said, then I don't even know why. You know, I knew why. See, that's God once again. Like he's done so many times and always did working in my life, you know. And so now I get the suit up and I go Monday night to the feds, Wednesday night to the state prison. You know, I I drive 30 miles. God's got a sense of humor, man. I drive 30 miles to get to a prison. To get hassled by the guards to get into the place. To do a meeting for half the guys on and be there. And you know what, man? I love every minute of it, man. Because those are my people. You know, that and detox meetings, man. I love to go to detox. You want to, you want a shot of sobriety, man? Go watch them fall out on the floor. Shaking in a detox meeting, you know? That's, that's my people. That's what AA's, that's what AA's all about, you know? And I'd, I'd love to tell you that I go there just for them, but I'd be lying to you. Because that is the paradox I found in Alcoholics Anonymous. The great paradox of Alcoholics Anonymous is the more I learned, I learned that from y'all, man, to give. You see, to get out of myself. And the more I can give to you, the more I get, I'm the one that gets it, man. You know, it's, it comes right back to me, man. If I had one meeting to go to, it would be that meeting. Because I get to see right where I go every time I get loaded, man. I might not go the first night. But I always go there, man. You know, man, uh, life's good. You know, I just thank y'all for asking me to come here, man. Being, uh, being sober is where it's at. I used to, you know, I used to all, I must, used to always wonder what would I do if I got sober? Well, I actually live a life, you know. I actually live a life. Who would have ever thought being a knee walking drunk would have me stand in the Hilton Hotel in St. Petersburg, Florida? Only in America and only in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know what? I thank God for getting me to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thank Alcoholics Anonymous for getting me to God. Thanks for letting me share, y'all.